Hey everyone, my name is Randall Heyer and I'm the worship arts pastor here at Cochrane Alliance Church. We are so glad that you've come to check out the latest sermon and we pray that you are encouraged, challenged, and ultimately that you are drawn closer to Jesus. Enjoy. Uh, would you join me in prayer this morning? Heavenly Father, well, first of all, thank you for the families in our church, for the children who are being born uh, into this church family. And I ask that you would give us wisdom as a church uh, to know how to equip these parents and how to teach the children when we have them in, in our Sunday school and in our youth groups to raise them up in the ways of the faith. And so I pray kind of a blessing over all the children of our church that they would grow to know you, that they would uh, have hearts that long after you and that your word would, would just kind of reign in their minds. And I pray today as we come to our message that your word would speak to our hearts. Uh, Holy Spirit, that you would speak to our minds and our hearts, informing us and encouraging us and leading us to the places and the people uh, to whom you've called us to minister to. And so I pray uh, that we would know that you are with us in this place today by your spirit indwelling us. And I pray this in the name of Jesus. Amen. So I want to begin today by making a statement uh, that I don't think anyone's going to disagree with. I don't think it's a controversial statement. Um, and the statement is this, is that we live in a very broken world. You know, any I don't really think I need to do much to prove that. Anytime you read the newspaper or if you watch the news or, you know, read it not on a newspaper but on your phone, I mean, I guess that's more what people do now, but it becomes really apparent that there is every day something devastating and terrible occurring, whether that's on a, on a national or global scale or even just with individual people's lives as you start to dig into some of the suffering that goes on in the world, we go, and the more you dig into the suffering of this world, you go, there's something very, very wrong with this world. There's something broken about this world. Our world is broken. It's broken spiritually. It's broken physically. And I think another statement that we can all agree on is that Jesus has called us, his followers, to be in this broken world. To not be of the world, but to be in this world. That's sort of a summary of Jesus' prayer in John 17, where it says that we're sent into the world as Jesus was sent. We are to be in this world as Jesus was, but not of the world. So I think we can all agree on those things. Where disagreement might come in is in the practical living out of that command to be in the world, but not of the world. What does it actually mean how do you actually do this? How does the church function in light of that command to be in the world, not of the world? In a devotional series a few years ago that I was watching, uh, titled For the Life of the World, they kind of identified three negative ways that the Western church has sometimes taken this command and interacted with the culture around them over the past hundred years. Kind of different ways of being in the world but not of it and putting it into practice. But these are kind of maybe the more negative ways but they're, they're around enough that, that you probably will all have, know of churches that kind of go down these ways. And I just want to list them and then kind of tell you what I think is a better way forward. But here are the three ways that we kind of see this lived out, to be in the world but not of the world, but maybe not in the way Jesus intended. So the first way is the fortification model. This is where the church sees the culture around it as evil and sinful and dangerous. And to protect themselves... From that evil, dangerous world, they close the doors, they build up the walls, and the church essentially becomes a fortress or a bunker where people can escape from the world. 
Occasionally, they might open the doors of that fortress, see that the world is still evil, and they close the doors, build the walls stronger, and hide deeper. And in this posture, there's very little interaction with the outside world, unless someone comes to them and wants to join them. And if they can agree to kind of all the the rules and regulations of that particular uh, model, then they can join them. And that model doesn't engage with the world or the culture at all. It just hides from it. It's here, but it's not really here. It's hiding. The next model that that we sometimes see is the domination model. This is the church on the offensive, right? They engage the culture with an us versus them mentality. These churches are, like the fortified churches, terrified of the world around them, but instead of hiding from it, they fight it. They try and dominate culture, right? They try and fight it in every sphere. And these churches would embrace that term culture war, and they engage the world with that culture warrior mentality, In general terms, this model tends to focus on morality only. They want to make people behave better, you know, more like them is what they mean by behave better. And so they will kind of do whatever it takes to kind of beat people into submission and say, do what we tell you to do because we know and you don't. The third model is the accommodation model, right? This church posture is generally a reaction against the domination model. In this model, there's still that goal of engaging culture, but it's the complete opposite of domination, In this model, uh, you know, kind of probably as a reaction against the culture warrior mindset, this model of church tries to find a way to enmesh itself with culture, and often what happens in this model is it does lead to a watering down of the unique claims of Christianity, like the reality of the resurrection of Jesus, the reality of sin and judgment, or the necessity of the cross. And so this model goes further than just engaging culture, and it, it tends to let itself be shaped and it, and it embraces culture, and is, it tends to be shaped by the culture around it rather than shaping culture. So what I would hope is apparent to you is that none of these models really work, but you've probably seen variations of these models in your journey through different churches. You've probably seen different forms of these played out. But none of these really accurately represent what Jesus meant when he said that we should be in the world, but not of the world. We are not called to fortification or domination or accommodation. We're called to do the work of transformation. And transformation means to dramatically change something or to change someone. And that's really following the path set for us by Jesus, who, while he was in this world, was not of this world, but he still dramatically changed the world. He transformed the world. People who came into contact with Jesus were transformed. Whether that was a physical healing or a spiritual um, freedom, there was a transformation that took place when Jesus interacted with the world. And that's really what we get to call, be called into. So let's just look a little bit at what Jesus does. He does that work of transformation, right? We see it in the way that Jesus heals uh, people's physical ailments. And I just want to make a side note here because we're talking about a broken world kind of being transformed. But one of the things that we want to make clear is that someone who has a physical ailment, who's physically disabled, is not a broken person. And for some people, the transformative work of Jesus in their life will not be the healing of the physical body. Think of someone like Joni Erickson Tata, who's a quadriplegic, who, you know, is fairly open to prayers for healing but has not yet been healed. Uh, but has taught many of us how to be faithful to Jesus in the midst of her limitations and even in her suffering. I think of Eric Johnson, who's the former senior pastor from Bethel Church, a church that certainly believes in healing prayer, um, but he's deaf and he's not been healed of that deafness, although he has seen people who are deaf healed around him. And so we just want to affirm that uh, there is a transformative power available through Jesus for the healing of the physical body, but that when it doesn't occur, it's not because there's something deficient in that person or, or something broken about them that 
but what's really happening is God's transformative power, his transformative work is probably being uh, demonstrated in a different way in that person's life. And so sometimes the transformative work of Jesus is not the physical healing, but is really seen in, in those people who teach us in their limitations about God's presence, in, in whether it's sickness or in some kind of limitation that they have, and they start to teach us about God's, pa- uh, God's faithfulness and about patience and about trust and about God's goodness. And so we want to kind of affirm that. But, I, but we also want to acknowledge that in the Gospels, and, and even today, there are those who are transformed by the healing power of Jesus. From blind to seeing, from deaf to hearing, from lame to walking, you can't ignore that the healing of the physical body is a transformative act, right? To radically change something. It's a transformative act. Displaying the goodness of God's kingdom to those who need that transforming act done in their lives. But not only do we see Jesus physically healing and transforming people, we see spiritual transformation as well, right? We see it in the actions of Jesus as he casts demons out of people, and he sends his disciples out to do the same. We see it in the way that Jesus forgives the sins of the people, those who are caught in sin and shame and in spiritual bondage. When they come into contact with Jesus, they're set free from those things. They're transformed. So Jesus transforms people physically, and he transforms people spiritually. And if you're a follower of Jesus, then even your own life in Christ is a testimony to the transformative power of Jesus, because we're born again. We are dead to the old life of sin and raised to new life with Christ. We are transformed by the power of Jesus and the indwelling of the Holy Spirit, made new. Now, it's God who does this miraculous work of making people a new creation. He does the actual work of transformation. But here is something, and here's kind of maybe going to be the the gist of the sermon is this. That God has called us to be his agents of transformation in this world. Right? Remember the prayer of Jesus for us in John 17. Jesus prays, just as you sent me into the world, I'm sending them into the world. Just as I was sent into the world, I'm sending them. So just as Jesus was sent, we're being sent. And our mission as agents of transformation is to proclaim the gospel, feed the hungry, heal the sick, speak for justice, cast out spiritual darkness, and live the values of the kingdom of God in the midst of this broken world. And when we do this, we become like Paul and Silas in the early church, those who turn the world upside down. And acknowledging the reality that we are sent into this world as Jesus was sent, I hope that kind of stirs up some questions for us. And a big question I think that we need to be asking ourselves is, what is our salvation for? What is our salvation for? Generally, when we talk about salvation, we're talking about it in terms of personal atonement and personal relationship. It's sort of all about me and what Jesus has done for me, and it's about receiving eternal life and the forgiveness of sins. And those are all true statements, and there is nothing wrong with those statements. Those are all true, and they're very important. However, I think sometimes we need to expand on the plan of salvation outside of the lens of it's about Jesus and me and eternal life. And that's not to downplay the personal relationship aspect of it or the eternal life promises of it, but but to understand what our salvation is for, we need to understand that Jesus has called us to follow him and to do the same things that he did. Do you remember John chapter 14? Jesus says, anyone who believes in me will do the works I have done and even greater things. So Jesus has this expectation that anyone who follows him will do what he had done. 
And if you look at when Jesus sends his disciples out, he sends his 12 out to do what he did, proclaim the kingdom, heal the sick, cast out demons. When he sends the 72 out, he sends them out to proclaim the kingdom, heal the sick, and cast out demons. And I imagine we continue that as we see the early church continues to do exactly that. So we're invited not only to a personal salvation, sort of this, okay, now I'm saved, I get to go to heaven, I'll you know, go to church, do all that kind of stuff, which is nothing wrong with that, but let's expand it a little bit and go, okay, I'm supposed to do what Jesus has done. I'm sent into the world as Jesus was sent. So we're equipped and empowered by the Holy Spirit to do what Jesus did. We're invited to be agents of transformation in this world. To use biblical terminology, we become a royal priesthood and Christ's ambassadors. Our salvation is not only that we get to enjoy God in eternal life, but there's a, a purposeful mission component to it that Scripture says we are God's masterpiece, created anew in Christ Jesus to do the work he planned for us from long ago. So if you have become a new creation in Christ, there is work that God has already created you to do. And part of figuring that out is following the leading of the Holy Spirit in your life to the people and the places that God is calling you to. Salvation, then, invites us to cooperate with God in his transformative work in the world. We work to help bring God's transformative power and plan to bear on all creation, to see lives transformed by the good news of Jesus, by the power of the Holy Spirit. Remember what our church vision is. To see a thriving town shaped by thousands of people experiencing the transforming love of God. And that's exactly what it means to follow Jesus. We get to work with God by the indwelling presence of the Spirit, following the example of Jesus, to work at seeing thousands of people experience the transforming love of God. What a privilege. This isn't a burden. Right? It's not a burden to do the work that God has called you to do. It's not a burden to do what Jesus has called you to do. It is a privilege and a gift. But this means that when we're in the world, we need to be in it. We need to interact with our world in the way that Jesus did. But as we see with Jesus, we're supposed to be very different from what the world has seen before. So we don't hide from the world, we don't fight the world, and we don't accommodate, but we invite people. We invite people to experience the life-changing, transformative power of Jesus in our church family. We invite them into family. And that should look so different from the ways of the world. It should look very appealing to those who are in a place of spiritual darkness or dryness. And so our primary message, what we're really telling a lost and hurt and broken world, is we're telling them this truth, that God is love. And that God so loved the world that he sent his son so that anyone who believes in him will not perish but have eternal life. And God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world but to save the world through him. And that's the transformative message that we declare and then live out practically in our communities. One of the things I think sometimes happens in our churches is that we, we, we know the words to say, but we forget to back it up by practical action. And so we can declare this message, but the people go, but I'm not seeing it. And that's why it's so important for churches to be involved in things like helping out the food bank. You know, signing up to, to volunteer for things like helping hands to drive people to appointments in the city and have conversations with people because it's a tangible demonstration of love for our community. We're actually in our world. We're not just kind of in our churches saying, here's the message, you know, God loves you, but we're actually in our world showing people God loves you. 
And as we work our way through the book of Acts, it's going to become very apparent that the church, empowered by the Holy Spirit, is God's plan to continue the work that Jesus began on earth. And the great news is that we don't have to do what Jesus did on our own wisdom, our own strength, or our own ability, because the Father has given us the great gift of the Holy Spirit, so we can do, as Jesus says, the same things I have done. That's how you do the same things Jesus did. It's by the power of the Holy Spirit. We saw last week the pouring out of the Holy Spirit upon all believers was the birth of the church. And this event propels the church to then go and be witnesses of Jesus to the ends of the earth. That means ordinary people, right? Again, think about the early church leaders. Some fishermen and a tax collector. Like these aren't you know, the academics of the day. These aren't the rulers of the day, but these ordinary people are now equipped by the same power that raised Jesus from the dead to do what Jesus had done, that is to communicate God's love to the world through words and actions and to bring people to saving faith in him. So immediately upon the pouring out and the filling of the Holy Spirit, we see the early church begins to minister in the name and the power of Jesus. They just keep doing what Jesus had already started to do. And so we're coming into Acts chapter 3 today. It's a story of the lame man transformed by the name and the power of Jesus to become restored. Acts 2 and Acts 3 are linked together because the the gift of the Holy Spirit makes spirit-filled followers of Jesus a great gift to the world. When confronted by the world's brokenness and by human need, Holy Spirit-empowered followers of Jesus ask God what he wants them to do about it. So we live in this broken world, but we're actually not supposed to be content with living in a broken world. God's heart is not for this world to remain broken. It's to see it made whole. And so anytime you see brokenness and injustice and something that is wrong, you should be asking, God, is there something I can do to make this right? Is there something you want to do through me? or through my church family to make this right. And the cool thing about this church is there's a couple of things going on that are doing that, like Freedom 8848 or Right Hand Support, or there's probably other things that you guys are doing. But that's really encouraging to me because it shows that we've got the right mindset. That when confronted by brokenness and evil and injustice, we don't sit back and go, yep, that's the broken world for you. We go, okay, God, what is the transformative work you want to do in this world through me or through my church family? So what we see is Peter and John in Acts chapter 3 are confronted by human need as they come in to to the temple. So it's Acts chapter 3, starting at the beginning. Now Peter and John were going up to the temple for the time of prayer at 3 in the afternoon. A man who was lame from birth was being carried there. He was placed each day at the temple gate called Beautiful so that he could beg from those entering the temple. When he saw Peter and John about to enter the temple, he asked for money. Peter, along with John, looked straight at him and said, Look at us. So he turned to them, expecting to get something from them. But Peter said, I don't have silver or gold, but what I do have, I give you. In the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, get up and walk. Then taking him by the right hand, he raised him up. And at once his feet and ankles became strong. So he jumped up and started to walk. And he entered the temple with them, walking, leaping, and praising God. All the people saw him walking and praising God, and they recognized that he was the one who used to sit at the, and beg at the beautiful gate of the temple. So they were filled with awe and astonishment at what had happened to him. Almost immediately after the Holy Spirit is poured out, the Holy Spirit leads the believers outside the walls of their own community and into the hurting world around them, where they're confronted by human need at every turn. I mean, we even see that in in chapter 2 of Acts, right? So the Holy Spirit is poured out. There's the sound of rushing wind. They begin to speak in the languages of all those who are gathered in Jerusalem. 
um, for, the, for the festival. And, and that allows, right, the wind, the sound of wind drew a big crowd and Peter filled by the Holy Spirit, preaches to a huge crowd, and it says 3,000 people were baptized into the kingdom that day. And so what we see from Acts 2 into Acts 3 is that the Holy Spirit was not poured out only for the edification of believers. That's one thing that the Holy Spirit is given for, the gifts of the Holy Spirit to serve one another and build each other up in the Lord. But really, the Holy Spirit was also sent to propel the church to the ends of the earth with power and on mission. As Jesus said, wait for the gift my Father promised. You'll be baptized with the Holy Spirit. You'll receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you. And you'll be my witnesses in Jerusalem, Judea, and Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. And here in Acts chapter 3, the power of the Holy Spirit allows the apostles to heal a man in the name and the power of Jesus. And so what I'd say is this, the Holy Spirit empowers believers to bring the transforming power of Jesus into the world. Spirit-filled and Spirit-empowered people are a gift and a blessing to the world. You know, my deep desire is for the community of Cochrane to see Cochrane Alliance Church as a gift and a blessing to them. To see it as, as the place of hope. Now this healing of the lame man draws a crowd. And if we were to read further on in the text, we read that just as the sound of the rushing wind and the speaking of tongues led to an opportunity to share the gospel, so too the healing of the lame man draws a crowd and gives Peter an opportunity to speak about Jesus. And then he gets hauled in before the Sanhedrin, arrested, and it gives him another opportunity to speak of of how this happened is because of who Jesus is. And so what we learn is the Holy Spirit always points people to Jesus. That's a principle you're going to see over and over again in the book of Acts, that believers are privileged to be agents of transformation, but only through the Holy Spirit, in the name of Jesus, by the will of the Father, can they transform the world. So God alone receives the glory. Everything is done to point people to Jesus. And it is interesting to me that one of the very first acts of the spirit-filled and empowered apostles is a miraculous act of healing. Because what it reminds us is that there is a world full of hurting people who are living in tragic circumstances. If you think about this lame man, he didn't have much of a life, you know, because in that day and age there's not any like social support systems or anything. He was a beggar. And for years, it actually says later on in the text, it was over 40 years he relied on others to provide for him. His days were spent day after day begging for money or for food. And if anyone needed a transforming, miraculous healing, it was this man, and he received it. And what it shows us, it shows us that God continues to care for people who are in desperate circumstances, who've suffered tragedy and hardship of many kinds. That this is one of the first miracles reminds us that Anywhere in the world that there is human tragedy and hurt and suffering, the church is called to be there as well, to be the hands and feet of Jesus. Sometimes we'll see it in outward ways, right? We'll see the suffering in outward ways, like this man who was forced to beg for money every day of his life, and sometimes we'll see that. We'll see people who are, you know, really on the margins of society hurting and suffering, but we also have to remember that the hurt, the suffering, and the tragedies that people experience often go unseen. For every person that we can see that is suffering visibly. There's thousands more people suffering some emotional or wounding damage and hiding it. And hundreds of thousands more suffering spiritually and they might not even recognize it. Right? It's just just an awareness that the world that we are in is very broken with all sorts of different types of brokenness. And we believe the answer is Jesus. We know the answer is Jesus. Sometimes the Spirit leads us to partner with him in miraculous moments of divine intervention. 
That's one of the things I think that the church does need to be prepared for is that the same things that Jesus did, the same things that the early church did are the same things that we are called to do. And so sometimes the Spirit is calling you to moments of divine, miraculous intervention by the power of the Spirit in you in the name of Jesus. I remember one time having a young mom come to our church. Well, we knew her quite well, actually, and we didn't, I didn't realize that she had something had gone wrong in her back, and she was in excruciating back pain. And uh, the doctors had said, you can't, she had young children. The doctor said, you can't pick up and carry your children anymore. It's just going to continue to hurt your back. But imagine being a mom who can't pick your children up. I mean, how do you do that? Right? I mean, I have a two, we used to have a two-year-old, right? You've got to, like, drag them out of places sometimes, right? That's not just my kid. That's, I know that that's not just my kid. That's, you know. And, and so this was really hard for her. She can't pick her kids up. It was excruciating pain. To get to sleep, she would have to take painkillers every night just to try and get through the night. And, um, and she came up to me and Lori, and she said, would you just pray for my back? And so we, uh, we prayed for her back, and she said, I feel like something is happening there. I, it's really weird. And, and, she said, and we said, well, do you want to see if your back is feeling better? So one of the things she couldn't do was, like, bend over and touch her toes. She couldn't, it would just be immediate pain. And she bent over and was touching, you know, as close to her toes as she could. I can't even touch my toes. I'm not flexible. And so, and she was amazed by that. It was instant, miraculous healing. A moment of transformative power displaying the goodness of God in her life. And so one of the things I just wanted to be on our radar is that there are things like this available to us, that the same things Jesus had done, we are called to do, and sometimes it's going to be this. But I do want to say that other times, bringing healing into our world in the name of Jesus, it it means doing things like stocking up the food bank shelves or driving an elderly man to chemo treatment. I remember another mom who wasn't part of our church but she was in our community, and she had an autoimmune disease that prevented her from working, and her husband had just lost his job, and so they were kind of one month into this, and they didn't have a lot of savings, and so um, someone in our church family knew them and said, they're not going to be able to make their mortgage payment this month. Is there anything we could do? And so we just wrote a check and made sure that their mortgage was covered. And she sent us a, a letter later, and she just couldn't believe that Christians would actually care about her mortgage. And again, there's, there's that. We won't want to have a disconnect between the practical and the spiritual. That gets kind of Gnostic a little bit. When we're like, oh, it's all about the spiritual life. It's like, hey, if you can't make your mortgage payment, that's a big deal. And if the church can come in and cover that, that's a big deal. And she just couldn't believe that the church would be so generous to her. And so the point being that there's many ways that spirit-filled churches and spirit-filled believers can bless the world around them to show the world what it truly means to belong to the kingdom of God. Because again, we invite people. We invite people to taste and see that the Lord is good. We invite people to experience what an abundant life in Jesus really is. And oftentimes, we're the first contact someone is going to have to show someone that the Lord is good. So what this lame man at the gate needed and what I think all people need is a heavenly touch from God. The lame man needed the power of the Holy Spirit made available to him. But can I make a point about this? If Peter and John hadn't gone there that day, he never would have found the power of the Holy Spirit. He never would have been healed. Because the lame man begging would have had no way to get to the gathering of the early believers. They would have to go and find him. And my own thoughts kind of lead me to think, even if he could have made it to a gathering of these early believers, would the lame man have even tried to go? Because maybe he'd be thinking to himself, well, what is another religious gathering going to do for me? Because remember, where did he sit and beg? 
He sat and begged outside the temple. He sat and begged outside the religious building of his city every day, and he saw religious people go in and out all the time. And sometimes, out of religious guilt, someone would give him some money or maybe some food, but he never expected a healing. He never imagined his life could be transformed, and so I doubt that he'd be remotely interested in joining a newly birthed church, even if he could have gone, because he would have been like, yeah, I go to religious places all the time. Sometimes they give me some coins. In our society today, I do actually think there's many who are like the lame man at the gate. They're not begging outside the temple, but they're carrying within them hurts and disappointments and shame, and church is the last place that they want to go. Because many of them will view the church as a society of judgmental, self-righteous hypocrites. But even if they have a neutral view or even a positive view of the church, there isn't that much motivation for them to come to a building that they don't know, filled with people they don't know, to go through religious rituals that are unfamiliar to them. I think the sad truth of it is that people don't expect much from churches anymore. And I think for a lot of people, the church is seen as sort of a friendly golf and country club. Right, Sort of a, an exclusive place filled with nice but slightly out-of-touch people where you would feel really out of place if you were to go to it. You ever go to like a high-end golf and country club and you're like, I don't belong here. Right? My boss one time took me and I was like, I am not dressed for this place. I am embarrassed. So honestly, sometimes church can feel like that for some people. It's like, I, I don't know what to do here. I feel out of place here. The people are nice, but I just don't feel like I fit in. But the point being that the Holy Spirit was not given to us so we could build a fortress to hide in or a country club of like-minded people to just kind of hang out with, but the Holy Spirit was given to us so that we could go. Go to the ends of the earth with power from on high to do God's transformative work in this world. That's how Jesus was sent into this world. He came with power to seek and save the lost. And so the body of Jesus, the church, empowered by the life-giving spirit, does what Jesus did. We go to the lost, the hurt, and the lonely, the sinners and the seekers, to bring truth and life and healing in Jesus' name. The early church brought the healing touch of Jesus to those who were hurting. And in words and in actions, they turned the world upside down. Dr. Ogilvie puts it like this. He says, the infilling of the Holy Spirit should make us realize that the church of Jesus was born to be a blessing. The wind of the Holy Spirit is to pick us up and carry us to people in need. The fire of the Holy Spirit is to kindle warmth and affection for others. And so we don't need to hide from the world. We don't need to fight the world or give in to the ways of the world. But what we do need is we need to partner with God in his work of transformation, turning the world upside down as the kingdom of God brings light into the darkness. Because the church is a light on a hill, inviting people to find life abundant and life eternal in the name and the power of Jesus. It's our great privilege and our mission to be co-laborers with the Lord and his work. And so I would pray that by the power of the Spirit, we may love the world as God loved the world, that we may serve the world as Jesus served the world. I'm going to call the worship team up to get set, and I'm just going to leave you with one question to think about this week in prayer. Is there a person or a place that God is calling you to where he wants to work through you to do the work of transformation? Just think about that this week. Is there something God is, because it says in scripture that you're created anew to do the work that Christ Jesus has called you to do. So is there somewhere that God is calling you? And it could be visiting a sick neighbor. It could be giving someone a ride or making them a meal. It could be praying for a coworker or someone you know. It might even be praying for healing for someone. It might be speaking a prophetic word to a brother or sister in Christ. It might be speaking up about something going on that is not right or it's, it's not just. There's all these different ways that, that God leads us into the work he has for us. So I just want you to be in prayer about that this week. Let me pray for you. Heavenly Father, thank you for the great gift of the Holy Spirit.
And Holy Spirit, I ask that, um, that as much as we would acknowledge that you were given for the building up of the body and the encouragement and edification of one another, that we would not forget that we are sent as Jesus is sent that we would not forget that we have people in our sphere of influence who are hurting, who are lonely, who are in need of a touch from heaven, and that we are empowered by the very Spirit of God to bring the touch of heaven into their life in whatever form that takes. So I pray that you would lead us to those people today, that we'd be a blessing to the world around us, that we would transform the world by the power that you have given us. And we pray this in your name, Jesus. Amen. Let's worship together.